God, we praise your name for the fact that there is power in the cross. God, the cross that was meant to define destruction and shame. God, you used that. You turned it upside down, and now it represents hope. It represents life. It no longer represents death. God, you give us hope through your son, Jesus Christ. You transform everything. You make it all new again. And today, that's what we celebrate. As we call today Renewal Sunday, when we just get refocused on you, and we refocus our minds and our hearts on the fact that you make us new, Lord, we praise your name, God, for the power that you have to work in us, and God, how you transform us, and we celebrate that today. God, I know that there are people in this room that do not know you, they do not have a relationship with you. God, I pray for their hearts right now. I pray that you might open their eyes open their hearts to the fact that they desperately need the love of a father. That God, they, they, they've been missing that. They've had the wrong idea about what it has to have a right relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that you just transform their hearts today, that your Holy Spirit would speak clearly to them. God, that you might open up their hearts to do surgery. And Lord, you might renew somebody today. God, we've seen it happen time and time again. God, as you open eyes to people that think that they have a right relationship with you, God, you transform their way of thinking, and God, you open them up and show them what it means to have a relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray that you do that. I pray that your word does that, and your Holy Spirit continues to move on these people as you speak to us clearly now. Jesus, speak. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. So today is Renewal Sunday, so we call it here at Simple Church, and really what's that all about? It's, it's an opportunity for us to just invite somebody and say, hey, we're all going to invite somebody and, and try to get them to come to church with us and so they can see what Simple Church is all about. For whatever reason, it's a little bit easier to be a visitor when you've got other visitors in the room. I'm not really sure what that is, but that's the way that it works because that's kind of how we're wired for some reason. So welcome if this is your first time here. Uh, you're probably a little freaked out about right now, going, man, what is this church all about? Um, we're simply about Jesus. Um, we want people to understand who Jesus is and what his word says. Uh, we worship. Yes, it's very contemporary. I'll admit that. It is contemporary in the way that we worship. That's how God has gifted us, so that's the way we choose to worship. If that's not your worship style, that's okay. If you still love Jesus, then... then Hey, man, we're on the same page. There's nothing different about us, okay? Um, today is Renewal Sunday, and it's a time that we celebrate uh, the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. And, and I think that um, there's, there's, there's this mentality out there, and, and I brought this up earlier, and I'll bring it up again, and I was a little hesitant to bring it up again, but I'm going to do it anyway because I really feel like the Lord is convicting me to do this, and that is that there is a mentality out there for whatever reason, in certain denominations, and I'm talking about Christian denominations, that if you have certain things in your past, then you are unqualified to perform certain duties and unqualified to serve God in certain capacities. That Because of your history, because of your past, it doesn't matter if God has made you a new creation or not, you still can't serve in this capacity. You can't, still, you can't be a deacon, you can't do this, you can't do that because of this in your past. And that bothers me. That bothers me. And that's why we're not a particular denominational affiliation here. We are interdenominational here. It's because we want all people that, to feel like that they can come here and be a part of worshiping Jesus. 
But there are certain things that I do not like about things that I have experienced and I have seen. Let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ creates you new, you are new. You are new. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what capacity you, you, you think that you may be limited in serving God. When he creates you new, he gives you a whole new set of boundaries and a whole new set of opportunities for you to glorify his name. It don't matter what your past looked like. And that bothers me because God has creative power. And when he makes you new, you are new. And that's what we celebrate today. We, celebrate, we call it Renewal Sunday, and it's just a time for us to say, hey, we're getting refocused on the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. Because let me tell you something. When, uh, when, when I look around at, at some of the things that I have seen before, and, and look, I've been in the midst of it, and, I, and I, I've been in, in the meetings where they say, well, well, this particular little verse out of Timothy says this, and, and I'm like, yeah, but what does the whole Bible say? If we look at the picture of Scripture and we say, you know, what, what is God showing us? We show all kinds of examples where people had a messed up past and God used them for his glory. You know, Moses, uh, he, he, he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, right? Everybody knows that, right? You know that story? You know, 40 years wandering around the desert. Everybody knows that story, right? Well, you know, Moses, he started out as a murderer. He saw one of his Israelite brothers being beaten by an Egyptian, so he killed the Egyptian. Oh, wouldn't that have disqualified him from God using him? Wouldn't that have said, oh, look at his past. See, there's no way that God can use him. Uh, what about David? He was an adulterer, right? David was an adulterer, but, but what is he known in God's word as? A man after God's own heart? Paul, you know what his, his responsibility was? His responsibility was to seek out Christians so that they could be persecuted and killed. And God said, that's the man I'm going to use to write three quarters of the New Testament. Don't sit there and tell me that God can't use you because of something in your past. Because when God creates new, it's new. Peter, when Jesus was at his lowest point, when he was about to go to the cross for all of us, and Peter had been with this guy, been ready to, to cut off people's ears, you know, whatever it took to save Jesus' life, he was at, Jesus was at his lowest point, and Peter said, I do not know that man. I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I never associated with that Jesus guy. Jesus was at his lowest point, and, and, and Peter denied that he ever knew him. Peter's got his own book. Peter's got his own book. Don't tell me God doesn't make new, because God makes new. No, don't tell me you're limited in what you can do for God because of your past. God makes new. He puts you on a right path, and he gives you opportunities he gives you gracious opportunities to serve him, and you are not limited by anything except your obedience to follow him. God makes new. And see, these Pharisees that Jesus had to deal with in his day, they had this wrong mentality about what it meant to have a right relationship with God. They thought that you just had to do all this stuff, man. You had to fast this many times. You had to wear these clothes yeah, I, you had to act this way. You had to do all this other stuff. And Jesus said, man, you're just like a whitewashed tomb. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're empty. You, you, you got no relationship with God because their motivation was all wrong. You can be a very moral person and still have the wrong motivation. And Jesus says, if you do that, then you're all messed up. See, your motivation has to be to glorify God. See, I, I went to Haiti and I, I, we saw a lot of very moral people. 
I talked to them uh, quite extensively. We, we worked at a, an orphanage there while we were there, and incidentally, there's a, a leadership team. We're going back to Haiti October the 3rd through the 5th, so please be in prayer for that. But when I was there in Haiti, I asked them, I said, do you see a lot of molestation, a lot of child abuse, these orphans that come in uh, here in Haiti? Do you see that? And they're like, we really don't. We don't ask a lot of questions, but we really don't see a lot of kids that struggle with that. And I said, well, well, what about other moral things? I said, you see a lot of other immoral activities? I said, not really, not in Haiti. We really don't see that that much. I said, but there's a lot of these people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean they're immoral people. There's a lot of moral people that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. What's that all about? Well, their, their motivation for why they're being moral is self-motivated. It's not in order to glorify Jesus or to glorify God or to glorify his kingdom. It's to glorify themselves. And Jesus says if you have that kind of motivation, you've got a messed up motivation. And that's what we see in a lot of the world today, too. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, right? That's, that's, what, that's what the world thinks. That's what a lot of people think. That's just some people sitting in churches today. That's what they think. Good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. And I would say that that is completely wrong. That is completely wrong. You know why? Because there's only bad people. There is only one that is good. And Jesus even said there is only one that is good. And that is my Father who is in heaven. So if your motivation is not the Father who is in heaven, then you've got the wrong motivation and you're not going to be with him. You're not going to be with him. I, I think that there's so much messed up about the way the world thinks about, man, if you do all the right stuff, that must mean you're a good person. That's not true. That's not true. I met a lot of people that did a lot of good stuff, but they had no idea who Jesus was. They had no idea who Jesus was. I, I hope that you can see today the way that Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees, that their motivations are all messed up. They were doing a lot of, a lot of good stuff. But their hearts were wrong. Their hearts were wrong. And that's where we find a lot of people today. A lot of people doing a lot of good stuff, but their hearts are wrong. So Jesus, as an effort to, to help them understand, he starts giving some parables. And he starts out with a parable of the lost sheep. He said, he said who if it was a shepherd, if you had a sheep that runs off, would not go to rescue the sheep and leave the other 99 behind? You see, Jesus was talking about the people that are the scum of the earth, the people that don't deserve to be saved, the people that, that, that there's nothing good in them. That's the people Jesus came to save. And, and we talked about that some time ago. We talked about how Jesus, when he stood up and read the scroll from Isaiah, and he said, man, I came to seek those that, that, that are lost. I came for those people that are the scum of the earth, that have nothing to offer God. That's the people I came to save. The lost coin that's wedged underneath a baseboard somewhere that's dirty and nasty and filthy. That's exactly who I came for. It's not you people that are self-righteous and think you've got it all together. That's not the people I came to save. Don't you understand that? So he tells these parables to the Pharisees. The parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin. Then we get to the last one in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. That's where we'll be today. As we look at the, the parable of the lost son, or the parable of the prodigal son, which I think everybody in here at some point in time has heard this story, but please, please, please don't tune it out and think that God can't speak to me. I pray that God will, will speak to you in a new and a fresh way when you see God's word. 
There are so many times I go back and I read a passage that I've read a thousand times before and God just shows me something, opens my eyes to something. I pray that he does that to you. And, and there, there are people that they can hear the same story a million times and then one time they hear it. It's just one time they hear it and God breaks them wide open and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That, that God, God tears open their hearts and says, you didn't see this before, but today you see it for what it really is. Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 11. I'm, I'm going to back up just a second. I'm going to read the first few verses of Luke chapter 15 and tell you kind of where it's coming from here a little bit. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Jesus was hanging out with these sinful people all the time. Oh, that's good news for you and I. And Man, that's really good news for me that Jesus will want to associate with the scum of the earth because that's exactly what I am. It's exactly what Paul was. It's exactly what Peter was. exactly what Moses was. It's exactly what Rahab was. It's exactly what Mary Magdalene was. Yeah. That's the people Jesus hangs out with. So let's go to verse 11. To illustrate the point even further. He's already told the, the, the story of the lost sheep. He's already told the parable of the lost coin. Now he's going on in verse 11 to the parable of the lost son. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, My share of your estate now before you die. Give me my share of your estate now before you die. This, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This would have been a deplorable act in Jewish culture because family was such a big deal, following the leadership of the, of the father was such a big deal, uh, that, 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 that what you were supposed to do and the lineage was supposed to be a big deal, your genealogy, where you came from, who your parents were, this was a big deal. And what he has done, he says, you know what, Dad, I'm done with you. I'm done with following your ways and the family ways and being here and doing your thing. I want to go and do my own thing. I'm done with this. Can you just give me my share of the estate? Can you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? And what he is saying to his dad, what he is saying to his father is this. He says, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Because normally the inheritance would be split up once the parent died, right? So now the son is saying, okay, let's go ahead and act like you're dead right now, and you give me what I'm due. This would have been awful, an awful thing in Jesus' day. For somebody to do. And Jesus is giving this example to the Pharisees. He says, look at this lost son. And what happens? What happens? The dad just divides it up. The dad doesn't say, oh, you nasty, wretched, filthy person. Go and take your junk. I'm tired of you hassling me. Just take your stuff and go. He doesn't do that. He doesn't even correct him and say, you know what? This... This is an awful thing that you're doing. I want you to know how, how deplorable this is. I want you to know how dreadful what you're about to do is. You just said you wished I was dead. You know how bad that sounds to me? I'm your dad for crying out loud. He didn't do any of that. He divides the estate. He says, here you go, son. Do you know that God does that with us? Our Father in heaven does the same thing with us. If we choose to go our own way, to go somewhere else and to go away from the leadership of our Father, He just says, here you go. 
He doesn't, he doesn't grab you by the arm and come dragging you back and say, you can't do this, you can't leave me. He says, here you go. Here you go. This is what you asked for. I'm going to give you the desires of your heart. The Bible tells us that he gives us the desires of our heart. Well, the desires of our heart may be to not be with God. That may be the desire of your heart. You know what God's going to say? Okay. Okay. You can have the desires of your heart. And he goes. He goes. The dad divides the estate between the sons. Verse 13 says this. You know the story. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to the distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out. And a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and, a, and, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the, the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, there's a little section in here where, where the guy, he moves off, and what does it say? He, he engaged in wild living. Now, it doesn't go into details about all the things that he did. I think this is intentional in God's Word. I don't think it talks about all the parties he went to. I don't think it talks about the, the prostitutes. I don't think it talks about uh, all the, the other things that he may have done that was against what God would have for him or, or what, what his father would have for him. It doesn't go into a lot of detail. You know what that is, I think? It's not the major part of the story. It's not the major part of the story. See, the major part of the story is what, what Jesus is trying to teach them. And the major part of the story is the future that is in store. The, the future potential that this, this guy has in order to glorify God with his life. That's the most important part of the story. Not all the stuff that he did. That's the same thing for us. The most important thing is not all the stuff that we've done in the past. is what God is going to do with us in the future. Some of us are stuck in this place where we're constantly looking behind us. Jesus says, don't be stuck with your hand to the plow looking behind you. You can't draw a straight line in the ground by that, doing it that way. Look forward to what God has in store. Look what God has planned out for you. Live in that. Walk in that. Follow me in that. There's too many people looking backwards in their life, looking at the past, trying to make that the bigger part of their life. I don't care if you're 105 years old and you're sitting in here. The bigger part of your life is the part that God's going to use you for his glory and how he's going to use you. That's the bigger part. When you surrender fully to him, that's the main part of your story. That's the bigger part of your story. But here, this young guy, he engaged in wild living. That's what he did. That's what he did for a while. He ran out of money. You know why? Because he don't last forever. Go out there and do your own thing. Think I got all I need. You're wrong. You're wrong. You know, you know what you need more than, than the money? You need your father. You can have a ton of money, but you're still going to need your father. I'm talking about your father in heaven, just like this guy needed his father back home. And he, he, he actually started working as a hired hand for a farmer. He, he had like everything going for him when he was back at his dad's house because his dad was going to take care of him. And yeah, he may, he may have had to do some stuff for his dad, but for the most part, he was nothing like the hired hands, the servants that were working for his dad. He was part of the family, man. He, he had it going on back at home, but now 
he's lost all of his money, he's burned through it, and now he's, he's out there wandering around looking for a job, and he goes to a farmer. And, and you know how a deplorable act it was for him to, to do that to his dad, to look at his dad like that and tell him he wished he was dead. It would even have been an even worse act for him to go and have to deal with pigs every day because pigs were seen as unclean animals. In Jewish culture, pigs were seen as unclean animals. For him to have to deal with pigs every day, that would be an even worse kind of job, a lowest low kind of job. And now he's feeding pigs. His job is to feed the pigs, and he's starving because famine has come on the land, and, and now he's got nothing to eat, and he's looking at the food the pigs have to eat, wishing he could have what they have to eat. It's just this one thing on top of another, on top of another, where, where, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about this low, low, low place that this guy's in. How awful, how filthy, how nasty, how wretched he is. The good news for us is that's us. That, that's the place that we're in before we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the place that we're in. The lowest of the lowest of the low. And the Father's still there, back home, letting us do our own thing. Letting us choose. He's starving to death. He's looking for food. It says, listen to this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired hand servants, hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You know what that is? You know what that passage is right there? That's a sinner's prayer. That's a sinner's prayer. That's what that is. Well, 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 I thought a sinner's prayer is what somebody was supposed to, you're supposed to have a minister and he's supposed to lead you in a prayer down here at the altar and that's, that's how you get saved. Wrong. Wrong. You know how you get saved? You say that kind of prayer in your heart, and you mean it, and God rescues you out of the place that you're in. Look what he says. Look what he says in his heart. This is what he's saying in his heart. Think about this. This is, this is coming from the heart, man. He's looking at the situation around him and says, look what a situation I'm in. Look what kind of mess I've made. I've done this. This is where I am. He says, I have sinned against heaven and my father. He's not talking to his dad. He's talking to himself right now. This is where salvation starts. Recognizing what you have done. Recognizing where you are. Recognize the, the, the place that you have brought yourself to. And he says, man, I don't even deserve to be called a son. Instead, what I need to be is a servant. Man, is that not the picture of salvation right there? Is that not the most beautiful picture of what it means to come to faith in God? To say, you know what? I'm not even deserve to be the son that, that God created me to be. I just want to be a servant. And that's, that's the message he's crying out in his heart. That's what he's crying out to God. This, this message he, he's, he said in his heart, and I believe it's to God. He was saying it to the Father in his mind, but I believe it's, it's a message to God for each and every one of us. 
Look, look at what it says. So he returned home to his father. He hadn't even seen his father yet. He's, he's, he's been praying this prayer in his heart. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now see, in Jewish culture... The dad, he's supposed to be all cool. He's supposed to be all like tough guy. And the son that went away, he's not supposed to like, he's, dirt, he's certainly not supposed to, to run after him and, and hug him and embrace him and kiss him and say all has been forgotten. That's not what's supposed to happen. The son would have to come back into the family and prove himself and all this kind of stuff. And the dad would have just been sitting up there with his arms crossed saying, all right, let's, let's, let's see that you really want to be a part of this family now. But that's not the picture Jesus gives of the Father here. The Father sees him a long way off. You know what the Father sees? The Father sees a repentant heart. The Father sees a son who has come home. And that's what matters to the Father. That's what matters to our Father who is in heaven. Is when he sees a repentant heart coming back home. Coming back to the original creation that we were made to be. God rejoices. And he runs after us. He doesn't just sit there with his arms crossed waiting for us to come to him. He runs to us. He runs to us and he, he grabs us and he kisses us. And, and look, look what happens. The, the, the son is, I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. The father doesn't even acknowledge that the son has just spoken. He doesn't have to because his actions have spoken a whole lot louder than his words ever would. And he's grabbed him and he's kissed him and, and, and he's wrapped his arms around him and now he's about to take it to the next level. Look at what he says. He said, but the father said to the servants, not to the son, he said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get, the ring, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and, and, the, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found, so the party began. I love that, that last verse in the NLT. It's not that way in the King James. I'm sorry. So the party began. What happened? What happened? The, the, the dad looks at the servants. He says, go get a robe for him. Go, go get that signet ring and put it on his finger. Go get sandals for his feet. See, the servants wouldn't have had anything to cover their feet, but he's part of the family, and the dad has welcomed him back in. The signet ring, what is that all about? That gives him authority in the family. That's, that's what they had, would have used to, to have authority in the family, and now he has authority. He's been restored to his rightful place is what he's saying. By all these actions, he's saying, you know what? You may not feel like you're a son, but you are a son. You are a son. It doesn't matter what you say. You are a son. Because you have a repentant heart. Because you have come back. Because you were dead and now you're alive. Because you were lost and now you were found. You're a son. You're a son. And that's what Jesus does to us when we come to him. When we come to him in, in, in a desire with the right relationship with the Father. God wraps us up kisses us, gives us authority, puts shoes on our feet, gives us a ring, says, you're part of the family. You're part of a priesthood now. You're one of mine. 
you're one of mine. The son did not deserve any of that. The son didn't deserve any of this restoration that the father has bestowed upon him. He didn't deserve it at all. He'd done nothing to deserve it. It was just because he was a son. And he had come back to the father. He had come back to the father. Man, that's such good news for you and I. That's such good news for us who are wretched, nasty, filthy, low lives of the earth. The ones that are against God more than we're for God. That God welcomes us back into the family. And not only that, he says, go get the fatted calf. The calf we've been fattening for a while. You know what that says to me? That there was an anticipation of one day that son would come back. That they had been fattening the calf, getting it ready for the one day when the son might return. That they might have the party. That they might have the welcome home party for the son that had gone away. That, that says to me that there's, there's a fattening of a calf in heaven. That the father is in anticipation of people coming to faith in him, coming back to the father. After having gone off and done their own thing and wishing God was dead and apart from them. Wanting to do their own thing and not wanting God to be a part of that. And there's a fattening of a calf happening in heaven in anticipation that one day, one day they will come home to the Father with a repentant heart, one that, that, that wants to be part of the family again. And here, here the, the dad calls out to the servants and the party began. But Jesus doesn't end the story right there. I mean, you would think that Jesus would kind of say, okay, that's good. The son came back. There was a party. There's a celebration. And this is what happens. But there's more to it than that. And I believe there's a reason why there's more to it than that. Because Jesus really wanted to teach the Pharisees something. He's been telling these stories to the Pharisees so they would understand because they're the ones that have been talking about Jesus because he was hanging out with sinful people. Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees something. So he goes on in the story and says in verse 25, Meanwhile, the other son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed a fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you've told me. And in all that time, you never gave me a young, one young goat for a feast for my friend, with my friends. Yet when your son, the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatty calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You see, Jesus had to show the Pharisees something here. He had to show them that they were the older son. Hey, the older son, what does he talk about? What's all the things that, that the older son talked about? He's talking about all the stuff that he did. Man, I did everything you told me to do. I checked all the boxes. I did every single thing that I was supposed to do. I, I never disobeyed you one single time. And you didn't even kill one young goat for me and my friends. Notice the selfish attitude of the older son right here. You, you didn't even kill one young goat for me and my friends to have a party too? And here I think Jesus is showing them the fact that the Pharisees had the wrong mentality. 
the wrong idea about what it means to have a right relationship with God. They were all mixed up, and they thought it had something to do with the works. They thought it was all a works-based faith. It was all about what they did. Well, the younger son did nothing. The older son did everything. And the father welcomed back the younger son, saying, Man, come. Come back. You know why? Because the younger son had gone away, and that's what mattered, the fact that, that he wanted to rescue him. And the Pharisees, they, they, they had this wrong mentality that, that, man, it was all about doing all these right things, and that's the wrong thing to think. It was the acknowledgement. It was the acknowledgement about, about, about the younger son that, man, I need my father. I think that the reason Jesus ended this story this way is the same reason he told the other, the other two parables. He was given an invitation to the Pharisees just like he was given an invitation to the lost and decrepit people, the scum of the earth, the ones that are no good, the ones that felt like they weren't worthy of a right relationship with God. I believe Jesus was given the Pharisees the same opportunity he gave to those people. And that was to repent, to allow your ways to be changed, to allow your mind to be transformed, for allowing your heart to be renewed by God. To not be this whitewashed tomb that's empty on the inside, but be filled by God with looking at other people is that they're, they're just in need of a Savior just like I am. And I believe that Jesus is basically giving an invitation to the Pharisees to repent just like the lost son to repent. You know why? You know why? Because God loves them all. Because God loves them all. Jesus is telling these stories because he loves the Pharisees just like he loves the lost son. And there are some Pharisees that came to faith in Jesus Christ. There, there are some that believed in his name. And it wasn't a majority of them because they were so entrapped in their, their old ways of thinking that they couldn't escape from that. But here, Jesus is giving an invitation to them. And I want you to see this. I want you to see this. We're going to go back just a little bit in our minds to the story for just a second. Remember what the son said? The son said, I want to go back and work for my dad. I want to go back and work for my, my dad so that I can be cared for by the father. That's what he said. He said, I'm going to be a hired servant for my dad, right? So I can eat and I won't be empty and I won't be hungry anymore. But notice what the dad said. He didn't say that you have to work. He just said, you're my son. Welcome back, that there's no work involved in it. That, that, that your heart is right now. That, 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 that you, your heart is in the place that it needs to be. And because of that, you're my son. You're just my son. And that's the same invitation that Jesus Christ gives, us, gives to all of us. That, that there's no work involved in it. We have to acknowledge who we are and the place that we put ourselves in. And the fact that the only thing we can do is come back to the Father. And Jesus welcomes us back in, wraps his arms around us. Kisses us. Says, you're one of mine. You're one of mine. When God creates new, you become new. You see, the son was restored to his original authority. He was restored just like he had left. So don't tell me that, 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 that they look back at what the son had done before and, and said that he's, he's no longer a son because of all the stuff in the past. No. When the father said he was welcomed back, that he was dead, and now he's alive, he was lost, and now he's found, he's new. He's not supposed to be hanging on to that old stuff. He's new now. And heaven has rejoiced as a result of it. 
So what, what about you? What about you? Do you feel like you're empty and hungry and alone and in desperate need of a saving father? Do you feel like you're not even worthy of being his son? That's the right place for you to be. Do you feel like you don't deserve his love? That's a great place for you to be. Do you feel like you don't deserve to be saved? That's a wonderful place for you to be. That's exactly the place you have to be in order to be able to come to the Father and say, God, I need you and you alone because my way, it did not work. That's the picture of salvation. Or maybe you've been confused thinking it was about all the right things that you did. And that's what you had to do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love. It doesn't work that way. You can do all the right stuff but have the wrong motivation and it's not right. It's not right. See, a lot of people, they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ doing it that way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work because you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for God. So what about you? Have you messed up? Are you a basket case? You feel, not, feel like you're not worth, worthy of, the God, of God's love? Come and ask him. Come and talk to him. Come and ask for his forgiveness. If you don't have a relationship with him, pray that, that prayer that the son prayed. I, I don't deserve to be a son. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I just want to be your servant. Pray that prayer. and Let God rescue you and save you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this precious word that speaks to us so clearly. God, there's no way, apart from the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you'd be able to speak to us and and, and talk to our hearts. So, Lord, we acknowledge that you are speaking and you alone, and we trust that. God, there are people in this room that don't feel like they're worthy, and God, I, I pray that they would continue to feel that way until they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Until they surrender everything to you and say, God, I need you. My way is not working. I need you and you alone. I'm empty, I'm hungry, and I'm alone, and I need you. Because, God, I know that you'll rescue them. I know that you're waiting with great anticipation for them to come to you. Because you want to run after them and kiss them and welcome them back into your family. Lord, rescue somebody's soul. For the hurting, for the lost, for those that feel like they've reached the lowest of the low. Lord, I pray for them. I ask that you touch their lives and open their eyes. Lord, for those that think that it's all about doing the right thing, I pray that you've opened your, uh, opened the, the, the power of your word to their hearts, Lord, so that they can see that it's not about what they do, but it's about who you are. So, Lord, let us trust in you, God, for you to do the work in us right now as we sing praises to you, as we're obedient to you. Whatever's on our hearts, God, I pray that we would lay it down at your feet because you have the power to change our lives. God, be glorified in this time as we respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?